What's up, everybody, once again? Golden Edge Podcast Time. It's your favorite time of the week, your time that you get to listen to Adam Hill and Ben Goats, the Review Journal, Golden Knights coverage team, at least part of it, uh, discuss what is, what is going on uh, with the Golden Knights. Lot to get into today, and Ben, we do that from the luxurious RJ Studios here in Las Vegas. What a lovely place. It's fabulous. And it's got free water, which is what I need. It, it does. That was, you know, that's a very nice perk, a very nice benefit of being here. There's like snacks all over the place, although it's not from us. I don't know what's going, on, what is going on with that. Uh, they look delicious, though. That is the uh, people, you know, that are just hanging around us, eating snacks right in front of us while we're trying to talk about the Golden Knights. And listen, this this kind of background things that are going on and, and us being able to point it out. That is why we are the number one show in iTunes history, allegedly. I think, yes, uh, reportedly, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I don't I'll know where the report it. was. You can post it on Twitter and then it's report. But it's big time. We thank all of you for listening. And thanks for tuning in once again because there is a lot to get into. And really, Ben, that starts with a big contract extension for a defenseman. Yeah, Nate Schmidt, fellow University of Minnesota alum, gets a contract Name extension. Name dropper. I know. It's pretty great. Uh, after the Golden Knights game, I believe that was against the Canucks, where after the game, they send out a press release saying, hey, by the way, we know we just had a shootout loss, but we also signed Nate Schmidt <laughs> yeah. to a six-year extension, so six years after this season. He is, of course, still not with the team. He was in Vienna, Austria when he signed the contract, practicing with the Vienna Capitals, because he's in the middle of his 20-game suspension for violating the league's performance-enhancing drug policy. But uh, it's definitely looking up for Nate Schmidt now, because yeah. get right off a of suspension, get some money, and... In a little bit here, he'll be back with the Golden Knights. Well, it's looking up for Nate Schmidt, and it could be looking up for the Golden Knights. I mean, a, a lot of these things have to work out for them, but they are locking up a lot of players long-term. We talk about this each and every time one of these extensions happen. It's really good for the team if the player plays well and they play, you know, continue to improve on the trajectory that they're on. And then the team has all these guys as a core locked up for a long period of time. That's really, really good. But if a few of them don't work out, then you start to have all these contracts. You're like, whoa, what did we do here? Yeah, so this one's more interesting because unlike the previous two we talked about, Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore, Schmidt is not quite as young as those guys. Yeah. He's uh, 27 now, I believe. So this you know, six-year extension is going to take him to his age 33 season. Right. So he's going to be pretty old at the end of this, whereas Tuck and Theodore are going to be 29, 30 at the end of their respective contracts. Yeah, they're going to be playing toward kind of reaching their peak in free agency. Like if these if they play these contracts out and they play very well, they're going to get one more big deal. Uh, whereas Schmidt, at the end of his, he's going to be toward. The end. It's not like he's going to have to. You know, he's going to be done at that point necessarily. But it's not going to be like he's not going. To, he's not going to be coming up to his peak and saying, "This is my big deal right now." This is kind of his big contract to play out, and when it's over, it's going to be toward the end of his career. Yeah, so on some level, you could say that's smart for the Golden Knights because they're locking him up for the bulk or at least the remainder of his prime, and he's coming off his best season. He got 36 points, which was a career high for him. He led the team in average time on ice among their skaters. He played over 22 minutes a game, and now they're locking him up and giving him kind of the first big contract, as you mentioned, of his career because this is a guy who was undrafted. Actually, when he went to the University of Minnesota, he didn't start right away. He took him time to kind of get ice time in college. Then he had to get ice time in the NHL because he was undrafted. And then, of course, he got sent to the Golden Knights in the expansion draft and had to work his way up into that kind of top defenseman role. And then he had to work his way into this new contract. So this is him kind of making it. And so 
on some level, it makes sense for the Golden Knights to kind of lock him up now. You've never had a big payday. We'll lock you up now, probably at a little bit below market rate because you're about to hit free agency, but you're about to hit free agency coming off this huge suspension that might hurt your market value a little bit. So it might have been a smart negotiating ploy for George McPhee to kind of pounce on all that to say, let's get a team-friendly deal done for the next six years. All that background information from the University of Minnesota, that's why you're here. That's why the people are listening. It's perspective get, I bring. To get all that that kind of stuff from his college days. But you mentioned the timing, and that I think that's a very interesting part of this deal. He's on suspension right now. And you know I think it, it's interesting on several levels because, first of all, they sign him to an extension while he's on the suspension, while he's not with the team, while he's away, and you know that you're opening yourself up to all the talk of you're signing a guy to an extension, a long-term extension, committing to him for a long period of time while he's on suspension, like, do you not care at all? And I think the team message is exactly what we're saying. We're showing our support for him that we don't believe it, and we're going to lock him up to this deal. But you can also look at it in other ways. Did they do this because they knew he didn't have a whole lot of leverage coming back, and whatever deal that they wanted to get, they were kind of going to be able to get their terms because he was in this situation. I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but I do definitely think the the timing of it, announcing it right now, doing the deal now, it absolutely is a message to the league of we stand behind our guy, not your policy. Absolutely, and I think they've been pretty consistent in that. Like George McPhee, the first time we talked to him at the suspension, was like, hey, we supported the player. We testified on his behalf at his appeal hearing, which obviously did not work because he still had the suspension. And we were actually just talking about this off mic. I mean, they have done nothing to hide Nate Schmidt during the suspension. If you go to T-Mobile Arena, Nate's on all the intro videos. He's telling fans to get loud during the game. They are not hiding this guy. Well, they're not hiding him from tape segments. Right, but as we kind of talked about, I think it would be very easy for them to, like, edit him out and basically be like, he's out of sight, out of mind until he's back on the ice for us. And this is even before the extension. They have been very much pushing him he's still part of this team he's still part of our fabric and we're not going to turn our backs on him even during the suspension right but there there also are hiding is a bad word but they are, they have shielded him from talking about the suspension what's going on and that part of that again is you know the the, the players association doesn't want them talking about it part of the policy the drug policy is that you know they want to you know they they want to make as much of it private as they can and not have a whole lot of the process stuff out there. But Nate can talk. He's allowed to. He can come out and say what he wants. He hasn't. And, and I don't know. I, I think it is an interesting thing to monitor of they could have got ahead of the story and just said he's talking about it and it's over. But they have kind of let it drag on a little bit by the fact that nobody has been able to talk to Nate Schmidt really on the record, get his side of the story, what's going on with him, how he's feeling, none of that. And now he's over in Asia. Or Asia. He's over in uh, in Austria in Europe, so slightly different than Asia. Not really. It's it's all the same. Anything outside of this of this area, I think, is all the same. Uh, but yeah, he's over in Austria and not part of not part of the the conversation. He's gone, and so he he's not he's not being hidden, but he's not around, and so he is kind of out of sight, out of mind in a way. But then you go to the games, and he's he is prevalent everywhere. He's around, so they're not backing away from him. Like they're supporting him by including him, having him be part of all that stuff, and he's. Certainly a big part of the plans going forward, but it is it has been somewhat disappointing that he has not been around at all to talk about what's going on because if he if they want to do get in front of it and say, We support him, he's innocent, tell tell everything that happened. Tell the whole story, get it out there, let people know. Instead they are kind of letting it hang out there a little bit. 
That's true, and it gives us room to speculate, and it's going to give us room to ask him a bunch when he eventually does come back, which might be pretty soon. Uh, per the CBA, he's yeah. allowed to come back 10 days before his uh, return date, which would be November 18th against the Edmonton Oilers. So November 8th he could come back. November- Although I'm always confused on, like, 10 days, Is that does that include... Like the day of, so is it the 7th, the 8th, or the 9th, somewhere? It's in that area, though. Right. He is allowed to come back for team meetings and practices. During his suspension, he's not allowed to practice or do meetings with the team right. until that date. So hopefully around that time, he can start talking, or at the very least, we're going to have to talk to him before that game against yeah. the Oilers on November 18th. And I'm, I'm very interested in what he has to say about the whole process. And just not even, not even specifics of, you know, the, the testing necessarily, but just his feelings through everything and, like, how was he – you know, nervous or scared, or was he confident that it was all going to turn out fine and he never thought that he was going to be suspended? Like, where was his emotion through this whole thing? And we haven't heard any of that yet, and I look forward to doing so very soon, and you'll certainly hear those words on this podcast as soon as we do get them. It, it's you, you. We talk about the, the timing of it, and I do think it was a message of the league, and I think it was a message of support and everything else, but they had to know that there was going to be some people that were not outraged, but some people that were like, what is this team doing? Why are they signing this guy when he's on suspension? It's very, it, you know, you know what you're kind of getting into in that case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we were talk, I watched ESPN the next day, and I think it was around the horn. They were talking about, why would you do this? This sends a bad message to your fans that you're signing this guy to a long-term extension, giving him about $34 million while he's coming off a drug suspension. Like I said, you can choose to kind of believe what you want about that drug suspension because we just don't have the information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is an interesting message to send. I mean, they've obviously been very consistent about their support of him. He was pretty consistent at the beginning when he was allowed to make a statement saying, I didn't have any substances in my body that would be considered illegal or against the rules. But obviously the record shows otherwise, and he had an appeal that he lost. And so there's a lot that we don't know, but this was an interesting move by the team to give him all that money at the time where his career is kind of at a low. It's also noteworthy how differently the story is looked at in that it seems that fans and people around here, people around Vegas are all like, yeah, this is all just a, you know, the league was, the policy is kind of garbage and he got suspended unfairly. This kind of sucks for the team and for Nate. And everywhere else it's like, hey, that guy's a cheater. Like that, that's just, that is what the narrative is right now. So, I mean, that's out there, and that's what people say. So, from outside the market, they're looking at it saying, they've got a guy that was cheating, that was suspended, and they're signing him to to an extension while he's on that suspension. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So, that is a storyline that's out there. It's certainly different here. And, uh, you know, it will will be very big for this team to get him back. Not only, you know, to get those questions behind him and they don't have to talk about it anymore or think about it anymore, but they do need him on the ice. Yeah, And that's pretty, pretty clear. He could definitely help that defensive core. I mean, his puck-moving skills are outstanding. As George McPhee kind of said after they announced the extension, he's the type of defenseman that every team is looking for now because he plays a good defensive game. He's really improved in that area. That's probably the area he's improved in the most throughout his career. And he can bring the puck up. He can dish out assists, and he's kind of a weapon on that blue line. So he's the kind of guy you want moving forward to lead that core, which now will include him and Shea Theodore for the very foreseeable future. Yeah, and, and you know, you talk about Nate being a defenseman and all the, you know, what he brings there as a defenseman, and that was actually the big question about him. Could he defend? Could he be a top-level defender? And he has been. He's answered those questions. But the biggest thing people knew about him that 
was obvious is what he can do offensively and what he can do especially turning defense and offense. And we have not seen the Golden Knights necessarily play at the same pace. A lot of it is kind of getting, you know, kind of getting into that transition game, and Nate helps so much in that. So when they do get him back, probably see a different type of style. But they're they're certainly missing him at this point in time. And as you said, only about a week or so until he's back with the team, and then November 18th at Edmonton back in-game action, and he will do so as a guy that is locked up to a very long-term deal with the Golden Knights. Well, one guy that they have under contract for a while as well that they just acquired this year is Max Pacioretty, but he also will not be on the ice for, I think, I mean, we'll find out, but it seemed like it seemed like there was some concern about how long he could be missing when he took the big hit the other day, missed the game, and now we're kind of waiting to find out on him. Right, so he's not on the Golden Knights' current road trip. We're recording this Tuesday morning, so they play the Nashville Predators tonight. Then they travel to St. Louis and play the Blues, so it doesn't sound like Max Pacioretty is going to play in either of those two games. He also didn't play Sunday against the Ottawa Senators. After taking a big hit again the first period against the Lightning, left the game, did not return. Haven't really gotten much of an update since then. Upper body injury. Yeah, we heard upper body injury. Gallant was asked. The head is part of the upper body. Right. Gerard Gallant was asked directly, is he in the concussion protocol? Because he took a hit up high, and Gallant's response was only, it's an upper body injury. Actually, it wasn't even that at first. I, th- I think uh, that was like, that was, he's not available is what I was told. That was Gerard Gallant's quote, and then our Dave Shane followed up with upper body, and he said, yes, upper body injury. No, Dave asked the next day, like, straight up, is he in the concussion protocol? Okay. And we got, yeah, it's an upper body injury. So <laughs> Okay, perfect. Very specific answer. So, uh, you know, we're... We don't like to speculate on injuries necessarily, but you have to in this case because, you know, hockey teams and especially the Golden Knights are so secretive about everything. I'm going to speculate that it's a concussion protocol. It seems that when he got hit, he got up and staggered around on the ice. That seemed like a concussion-type injury. And they took him right back to the locker room, and Gallant said after the game, like, he heard pretty quickly he's not coming back. Right, right. So, again, uh, that... That would appear to be the case. Golden Knights have not confirmed that. They have not talked about that, but they wouldn't do that. So um, that's what it appeared to be from our perspective uh, getting up. And similar situation happens in the next game. Cody Eakin takes a huge hit. He goes down. He's face first on the ice and, you know, takes takes a little bit to get up. He immediately leaves and doesn't come back as well. Yeah, at least Cody Eakin was on the ice today, though, for morning skate in okay. Nashville. So it does appear that he's going to be playing on this road there trip. So he recovered pretty quickly. We'll see how fast John Merrill recovers from <laughs> fighting in uh, Cody Eakin's defense. He had a nice shiner after that one. Mark Borvietsky, close. I got it close. That's such a, it's, it's such a tough name to say. Uh, he he delivered the hit on Eakin. Uh, Eakin goes down, as we said, but looks like he will uh, bounce back a little quicker. And... Uh, there's the three-game suspension for Borowiecki, but I think the bigger thing was John Merrill getting in his first career fight, and as you mentioned, it didn't go very well. Huge shiner. A huge shiner, and just watching back, he just didn't land anything. In, in fairness, uh, Borowiecki, I think I was trying to add up uh, how many fights he's had in his career. I think it's 49. He's much more experienced. In, the- a, in his NHL career, and he's won a lot of them. Now, he doesn't have the same winning percentage. I was looking back... Uh, hockeyfights.com, by the way, I'm going to shout it out. Fantastic site. Such a great website. I was looking back, and uh, they, they detail fights, and they, they actually score each one. 
uh, Ryan Ryu's record is incredible. Like he's we good. know he's a good fighter. The Golden Knights could have used him on the ice uh, on, during that hit. I'm yeah, sure John true. Merrill wished Ryan Reeves was on that's the true. ice. And it was it was so stunning to just watch it. Like as soon as as soon as Merrill sees the hit, he just goes for him, and and he was not going to let that slide. But at the same time, I think he knew going in like, oh boy, this is not going to go well. So as you mentioned after the game, Merrill has a shiner. He took three big left hands. It was not a pretty sight. Uh, his face was pretty jacked. And then, you know, one of the reporters in the locker room, as I was talking to Merrill about his shiner, chimed in with, yeah, but you should see the other guy. And Merrill's response is, I'm guessing he's all right. <laughs> it, it was not – he did not land anything. No. So I think a lot of credit to John Merrill, and I think it shows, you know, and, and you know, this is – it's not exclusive to the Golden Knights, but it shows hockey, hockey players do stick up for each other, and it's important when something happens to your teammate to, you know, back them up in that way. So I think it was – it was a good thing for the team, but I think at the same time, Merrill will be like, yeah, that's why I don't fight. Right, exactly. I'm and not I, good at it. And obviously it was a bad thing for the team to lose Cody Eak in that game. They needed to pull it out on a penalty shot in overtime. It's a bad thing to lose Max Pacioretty, your big offseason acquisition, who you traded a lot to get, then you handed him an extension. And now him and Paul Stasny, who you thought you were going to kind of anchor your yeah. second line and make it a fearsome second line to pair with your top line, are both out. And so things are getting real thin. Again, we've talked about injuries a lot this year, but these are obviously key guys that they keep losing and have out of the lineup. Yeah, we and we've uh, you know we, we spent so much of the offseason talking about all right, they got well at least training camp because they acquired Patch Ready right before training camp. All right, you got Stastny, Patch Ready. Who's that other guy with him? And now you've got neither of those guys, so it's a makeshift line. But on the positive side, you do have the other guy potentially back. Yeah, wait. Which, who are you referring to? Alex Tuck. Okay. <laughs> Not potentially back. He's back. He's back. Okay. Well, he could potentially be on that line, or he could have started on the third line. You know, we yes. never know. That was the speculation. Would it be Tuck or Howla? And now it's both because, you know, Patch Reddy and Stastny are out. But Tuck comes back, and I, I look at the last game against Ottawa as the Alex Tuck game. Like, that was a breakout performance. It's what they wanted out of him when they signed the extension, that he made an, an unbelievable play. Early in the game, Golden Knights are somehow down 2 nothing, despite completely dominating most of the flow of the action. Nothing's going in. They can't score. Alex Tuck goes end-to-end, makes a spectacular individual effort. And I thought absolutely, even though, I don't want to say turn the game around because they were, they were already controlling the action, but that really sparked them to be able to come back and find some confidence. That was an unbelievable play, and then he scores again later in the game. That was an Alex Tuck breakout type of game. Yeah, and I think you saw him come all the way back because his debut against Vancouver, you saw him slip on the ice a couple times. He even admitted after the game, like, yeah, I had some mistakes. You know, I'm probably not all the way back. And then you see that spectacular individual play and you say, okay, he's 100%. He can go do Alex Tuck things now. And while that first goal was spectacular, I also like the second goal because that's the type of goal they haven't gotten a lot this year. It's a really simple play. He's just in front of the net, pounces, does a deflection, gets in the net. They haven't had a lot of those, like, quote-unquote gritty goals, as they like to term it as a hockey cliche, a lot this year. But his kind of net front presence, being a big body, helps a lot. He's 6'4", he can screen goaltenders really well, and he helps a lot on their power play and just on 5-on-5 action to create some havoc in front of the net. And they don't have a lot of guys that can do that right now. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, he he's creating some chaos in front of the net. That's what they've needed. They haven't had that guy because they, they've got a lot of shots on goal. But too many of them have just been clean from, you know, from the point, taking shots, nobody in front, no screen, nobody there for the rebound. Tuck is a guy that does provide that presence. He'll do the dirty work in there. 
he'll make that happen. He's a, a huge addition to the power play, as is Ryan Reeves. Who, Offensive weapon, Ryan Reeves. Goal scorer. Ryan Reeves, goal scorer. That's who he is. That's what he does now. Three goals already. Seven's his career high. But he's getting some time on the power play. That was his first power play point of his career, right? Yeah. Never scored a power play goal until Sunday against the Ottawa Senators. So as he uh, said after the game, he's coming for Marchie's spot. He is. He wants a Marshall spot in the power play, he I also, guess. He's doing, again, he's doing, he's providing a role that they need. He is, he found a role as a guy, hey, I'll do the dirty work. I'll stand in front of the net. I'll grind it out. And then that's what he, he got a rebound. He pounced on it, scored. I mean, he's done that twice this year. Like, that's just a role that they need, and he's doing a good job doing it. And his presence has been completely valuable for the team because they've had trouble. You said the second line really hasn't come together. The first line is playing well. They're getting some goals, but certainly not on the level they were last year. The third line has been non-existent at times. Fourth line has been very impressive, and Ryan Reeves has been a big part of that, and and it's going to need to continue. One of the things they do is they generate a ton of chances. They don't finish a whole lot. But Ryan Reeves is starting to get some confidence. That will help a lot. Absolutely. And you just hear guys talk about him. They say when Ryan Reeves plays well, it gives us so much energy. And I think they kind of take pride in the fact that he's getting some goals now. Like Alex Tuck was talking in the locker room the other day, like, oh, everyone says he's just a fighter. He's a fighter. But now he's getting power play goals. So, yeah, go Ryan, (laughs) basically. I didn't hear anybody say, go Ryan. I might have added that part. I might be embellishing. (laughs) Just making sure. And usually it would be Revo would be what they would say. Uh, most of the time, but yeah, it's. It, I, I think it has been completely valuable that that he's he's finding some reward for the hard work that they're doing. Because Belmar, Reeves, Carrier on the fourth line, we talk so much about with the presence, but it's like generating chances, generating chances, getting teams on their heels, and not finishing. It can get frustrating, and you know they're starting to do that a little bit. So see if that continues. Homestand is over. Six of the next seven on the road. Huge stretch, but I thought wrapping up that homestand with the win like they had gives them a ton of momentum. If that game would have gone differently, it's early in the season. It's not must win, but if that game had gone differently, I think this road trip would have a different feel. I think the season right now would have a different feel. If you end a homestand with a game where you completely outplay an opponent and don't win, I think it totally changes the dynamic. Yeah, they set a team record for shots in that game against Ottawa, and they were still trailing at one point in the third period until Tuck tied it up. And then, of course, Marshall gets awarded a penalty shot in overtime, and they get the full two points. If they don't do that against an Ottawa team that doesn't really have the most intimidating lineup, I think you have a lot of the same questions we've kind of had all year of, well, you're getting a lot of shots, but you can't finish, and you're making these mistakes defensively. Whereas now they have this huge moment to kind of build off of, of that penalty shot. Then Eric Halla tackles Marsha Schultz on the ice. And it's kind of this jubilant celebration. And both Tuck and Reeves after the game talked about like, hey, now we've got momentum to take on the road. And we can feel good about ourselves going on the road to some tough places to play. Because like I said, tonight, Tuesday night, they play Nashville, who's tied for the lead in the Western Conference right now. They go to play St. Louis, who's kind of scuffling right now, but they've made a lot of good offseason acquisitions. And including I, David Perron. Including David Perron, and I kind of think they're going to figure it out at some point. So these are tough places to play, but they need to keep building points because they're still only 5-5-1, five, five, and one, and so they're not exactly kind of front runners like they were last year in the Pacific Division. Yeah, I think I think that's the difference right now because it's certainly not time to panic. Like There's no panic right now. You're only a couple points out of first place. Every team is bunched up right in the, right in the same spot that they were. Like, it's fine. Everything's fine. But last year, they said they had a great start. They're so far ahead of everybody at the beginning of the year that they were able to 
have some some comfort in knowing, hey, if we lose a game here or there, not the end of the world. We're still ahead. We're still good. We're playing from in front, and you have points to play with. Right now, you're right in the mix. No panic, but you don't have that. You know, you don't have that level of confidence of knowing, hey, if we have a bad week, if we have a bad two weeks, we're still fine. Right now, if you have a bad two weeks, you could find yourself in some in some jeopardy and being behind some of these teams. So that's the difference of of a bad start. Right. Well, last year they started eight and one, and then they had a road trip where I believe they went one four and one right afterward, yeah. and so. Gerard Gallant talked about it the other day, saying, like, we had a lot of cushions, so we had a bad road trip early, and it really didn't matter. It yeah. didn't, like, phase us at all because we basically were still right at the top of the division after that road trip. Here you could have another 1-4-1 one, and one kind of stretch. You got six of the next seven on the road. I don't want to do that math quick on my head of what the equivalent <laughs> stretch would be. Uh, but you'll be way far behind if you kind of lay an egg on a road trip like that again. Yeah, and so, you know, they had the homestand. We talked about five games couple tough teams, but some winnable ones. And we set a number on the podcast of six and a half. Can they get six and a half points out of this? They got seven. They got seven. So they, they did, you know, three, one, and one. They come off the, the homestand. That's a, that has to be looked at as a successful homestand. But as Jargonaut said, it didn't really feel like it. Like, even though three, one, and one, wow, really good. That's what you want. Got more points than we set the total at. Way to go. But Kalan said it just didn't feel that way. And it certainly wouldn't have if overtime or, or the shootout goes different the other day so good not great but certainly it's just kind of they're just kind of treading water right now and that's not a terrible thing but it's it's you want to start swimming at some point you need to start swimming and obviously like we said we mentioned all the injuries they've had but really everyone gets injured in hockey you're going to go through these stretches where you're missing key guys the key is can you somehow pick up points in the midst of all this and like I said, on this road trip, can you get to overtime to get, pick up at least a point in some of these tough games? Can you win a couple shootouts? Can you get some late goals to get two points on the road and keep yourself in range for when you finally get a stretch of home games? You can then try to surge to the top of the division. So six out of the next seven, as you pointed out, 12 of the next 17 until uh, December 1st will be on the road. So this is – this is you. I'm try, we set a number for the homestand. I was going to set a number for this month. You want to you want to play, you want to play at least five hundred in the month. Even though, like five hundred is not an astronomical goal, but you've got all these games on the road, so you you got to be realistic about it and say if they play five hundred, then they have a, a lot of home games in the second, you know, stretch of the season. That that's just where you want to be. You want to stay kind of where you are now at least. You want to survive. Yeah, survive this month, get through it, start getting guys healthy, and then that's when you can kind of start to make your move. But you just don't want to. You can't make a playoff spot right now. You can't make a, a first seed right now, but you can play yourself out of those discussions. That's what you don't want to do in this really, really difficult stretch coming up. Right, and you can obviously play yourself way down, so you have to chase that spot for the rest of the season, and that's also what you don't want to do is make yourself into a desperate hockey team where you need these points instead of just wanting to have these points. Right, exactly. So big, big stretch of games coming up, but it's, it's a festive time of year, Ben. I love Halloween. What are you, are you going to be something? I was Ron Swanson for a function uh, this past weekend. <laughs> what is Ron Swanson? From Parks and Recreation. I okay. had a mustache. No, I, I printed out a name is. tag. Uh, I don't really watch the show very much, but I do know who it is now. Yes, the big mustache. I was looking That's... good. Okay, I'm going to take your word for it. Um, I wanted to be gritty. I can't find the costume anywhere. And I, all I found, all I really found was like a, a how-to paper mache 
And I was like, I'm out. Like, this seems way too much work. I just wanted to order, like, a mask. Just buy two big googly eyes and an orange wig and rock it. Okay, maybe I'll work, maybe I'll work on that. That was my plan. Uh, I will not be a lion or a tiger or whatever Eric Howlow was. That's oh terrifying. Uh, yes, I don't know what that was still. Uh, it still creeps me out. I'm not going to be that. But there was – the Golden Knights had some good ideas. They had some good costumes. Your favorite was Ryan Reeves, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, I thought that was good. I thought that was a fantastic one. I thought, you know, there was a lot of talk about Nick Holden being showgirl, the, the new guy, kind of uh, announcing his presence in a very dramatic way. That was interesting. I dug it. There was, but there was some good, some good stuff out of the Golden Knights for Halloween. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think the – you don't want to read too much into it, but I do think it says a lot about a team when everybody fully commits. Nick Holden actually brought that up as he's obviously a free agent acquisition here, and he's like, this is the first team I've been on where everyone put a lot of thought into their costume. He's like, no one went to the store and just bought a costume and threw it on. Wait, did Subban, though? All right. I I feel like Subban might have mailed it in a little. He was just like a chicken. He just bought like a chicken costume. (laughs) I think he mailed it in a bit. All right, that's fair. I guess most, it was Holden's word, not mine. Uh, All the guys committed, (laughs) you know. Put some thought into their costume. There, there was nobody. Nobody showed up as like they just wore their jersey. Like I'm a hockey player. Like nobody did that move. Which is listen, it happens. I've done similar. Like I'm not really gonna dress up for this one. No one's done the gym from the office move where you're just throwing a name tag. Say you're Dave. It's a, it's a great move. That's a great I, I like that move. That, that that's definitely something I would do. But it does say like everybody. I'm not gonna. Again, I don't. I'm not gonna make too much out of it. But there is like a trust level of like. Hey, you're going to go all out, then I'll go all out, and we'll try to match each other. Like, we'll try to go above and beyond you. Because you don't want to do that when it's like you think you're going to the party where everybody's committing, and then, like, only four people do, and you're like, what did I do? why did I do this? Like, you don't want to be a part of that. So it does say something about the team and that everyone was willing to go in. Absolutely. The flurries were all in as a redneck couple. I really enjoyed that costume. There were just some great ones. Yeah, so – you know, good job for the Halloween the Halloween edition of the Golden Knights. Uh, we were impressed by them for sure. And, uh, you know, that's something to certainly watch each and every year to see if they get better, better and better as the years go on. Golden Knights, now in, they don't get to enjoy their – that's why they had the party last week, by the way. The Knights are on the road, so they weren't going to be able to do it uh, coming up here. But that is it. It was a good time. Good, good fun here on the podcast as always. I enjoyed it. Well, you enjoyed it because you're in the luxurious RJ studio. With free water. That's true. Uh, that's why it's enjoyable. It's a nice experience for us. Hopefully it is for you guys out there as well. Uh, make sure that you follow us along on Twitter at Ben S. Goats, at Adam Hill LVRJ, at David Shane LVRJ. I'm the worst at remembering Twitter handles. Uh, but follow us all along and send in questions throughout the game. We'll answer during the game. We have a mailbag segment as well coming up. You can, uh, well, it's coming up for us, not for you guys. You can watch it whatever order you want. Uh, but send us questions if you have them. You can answer them here on the podcast or through any of our other various outlets for communication with you as well. Big road trip coming up. Follow reviewjournal.com for all of your information on the Golden Knights road trip. Six of the next seven on the road. And follow us along as well on Twitter and now throughout the week. And we'll talk to you guys again real soon.